Welcome to Rays of Hope, a podcast of Hope and Truth Ministries. In today's episode, we're joined by Carl K.J. Johnson, and we're going to be discussing the question, Is America Still the Land of the Free? Join us and listen in. AJ, welcome to Rays of Hope here on uh, Hope and Truth's podcast, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Good evening uh, to where you are, and good morning where I'm at. Um, it's interesting how we can connect on at different corners of the globe in this uh, time of lockdown. Absolutely. Just uh, in case you're wondering where I am, I'm in Hyderabad, India. And uh, KJ is all the way uh, across the globe in uh, Chicago. So um, we're very thankful for the means to be able to record this. Today, we're going to be discussing the question, is America still the land of the free? Is America still the land of the free, even as you gear up for your uh, July 4th celebrations? I think it's a question that is on the forefront of uh, a few people's minds, uh, maybe not uh, everybody. And I, uh, as I was thinking about recording this, I thought there's uh, nobody better to uh, record this with than KJ, and I'll tell you why. Actually, I'll let him tell you why, but uh, KJ brings a lot to the table um, in, the, in the context of this discussion. He is a Marine. Uh, I don't want to say a former Marine because I was once chastised by somebody and uh, who said to me, once a Marine, always a Marine. Is that true, KJ? Did it is. I hope that wasn't me. I try to be charitable on that. But yes, um, your status as a Marine uh, might shift from active duty to retired. But once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. No, it wasn't you. It was somebody else who chastised me. And so I, I learned my lesson. And uh, so uh-huh. KJ. <laughs> you learned well. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. KJ is a Marine. And uh, apart from his uh, experience in serving uh, the nation of the United States, he also has uh, quite some significant experience as uh, an apologist. He uh, works for RZIM and uh, also for CSLI. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit, KJ, about your experience as a Marine uh, and then maybe what you're doing now with RZIM and the C.S. Lewis Institute? Yeah. Um, up front, let me make it clear. I'm not an apologist with RZIM. I work on staff as senior advisor mm-hmm. to the global CEO. I used to um, be the director of operations for U.S. ministries and help run uh, that stuff. I can get more into that. I am the director for the C.S. Lewis Institute in Chicago, and I've done all of that in my post-Marine career. Um, I am a retired Marine. I spent 20 years uh, in an active duty. Um, uh, I was in the United States as an off- United States Marine Corps as an officer from 1992 mm-hmm. to 2012, um, 9-11 was pretty much right in the middle of my 20-year career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went in right out of college, took a commission, um, was offered an air contract so that um, I could fly. I ended up becoming a, a helicopter pilot and deployed uh, all over. Most of my time was in, um, was in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, two different tours in Okinawa, Japan, which afforded me the, the ability to get all over uh, the Pacific Rim and a little bit further into, into Asia, which was wonderful. But I've also deployed out to the Middle East as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As 
is prone to do in any organization is you get promoted up in, in, in spend time. You don't get to do the fun stuff as much anymore. So I also became sort of a weapons and tactics officer and a strategy kind of guy and worked at, at a higher level headquarters on strategy and things like that as well. So it wasn't just uh, flying helicopters. So I helped build operational plans and things like that. Um, yeah. Or and, various scenarios and stuff. Hmm. When uh, and how did the turn in the road come? How did you uh, decide to join the Christian ministry? How is it that you ended up working for RZIM and uh, CSLI? Just very briefly, as far sure. as that goes. Well, my, my life has always been one of kind of crazy left-hand turns. Um, I was an English major in college with uh, this plan on going into journalism. Mm-hmm. And when I was offered the air contract, uh, a lot of people said, I don't understand how you get an English major to to be in a helicopter pilot. Uh, and so I just did the same sort of thing. Um, uh, I decided I wanted to study theology. Well, I actually wanted to study philosophy hmm. first. I was really uh, falling in love with apologetics, but I wanted to go deeper than just popular level apologetics. I wanted to get deeper into thought, um, yes. things like that. And it was primarily through a couple things. It was my involvement with, uh, it was my discovery of Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. Uh, found him on the radio one night. Um, and started uh, taking in everything he was writing and speaking about and got to know the folks in his ministry. And they were great and one, they became great, wonderful friends. Mm. Um, I also got involved with the C.S. Lewis Institute when I was stationed in Washington, D.C., participated in their, um, their discipleship program called the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program. And that is what I thought really captured my heart. And I knew I wanted to go into ministry. Mm. I didn't know what exactly I was going to do. And I didn't think it would be with either of those organizations, really. But uh, I went to seminary, get back here in Chicago to mm. study philosophy. And then there I fell in love with theology. And mm. so I did a master's in philosophy and a master's in theology as well. So, yeah. Uh, and then I too. That's right here. Yeah. Hmm. Thanks that's for sharing that. Yeah. I, I, there's more, there are more moving parts, but that's the uh, simplified version. Yes, the nutshell version. I appreciate that, um, and I really do think that with your perspective as a uh, as a marine and somebody who's now uh, working for two, I would say two apologetics organizations, RZIM and CSLI, two big names in apologetics. Even though you're not an official apologist, you still think apologetically. Yes. Yes. And, um, so I, I think you bring a very unique perspective to this whole discussion of uh, freedom and. So as uh, we're going to discuss this question, is America still the land of the free? KJ and I, uh, just for your information, our viewers, we've, we've sort of, you know, we've sort of agreed to disagree to sort of balance the scales in our discussion. And I think that's healthy uh, coming at it from two different uh, perspectives. And uh, so when we talk about freedom, I think it's very important for us to know what we mean by freedom. What is freedom? How do we define freedom? What are the parameters uh, of freedom? So I want us to begin with that, KJ. When you think of freedom, what comes to your mind? What do you mean by freedom when you think of freedom? Well, freedom is another word for nothing left to lose, right? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. That's the old uh, 60s song, yes. um, Janis Joplin. Um, no, I actually don't believe that. Um, you know, we could go into, since we're both, uh, you know, have some theological education, as even as we we're talking about sort of in the pre-show stuff, we could really uh, geek out and get into try to, try to get into a really uh, theological, philosophical definition of it. 
But um, that's not a practical day-to-day use sometimes. It's, it's good to have that understanding. But I think for most people, um, I, I, would, I, I would like to characterize freedom as the ability to self-determine or to have self-control. Um, and I think that is at the heart of what uh, freedom in the United States is, you know, the right to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It gives you the ability to, uh, to, and self-determined can be unpacked and someone could push back on that as well, but to make your own decisions and not to have them foisted necessarily upon you. So mm-hmm. that would be, I think, a good layman's starting point on what freedom is, the ability to have self-control. So if I decide that I want to go to school or I don't want to go to school, I want to work here or I don't want to work here, I want to marry this person and I don't want to marry this person that, um, those, those are afforded to me as a basic right. That's, that's where I would want to start. We could unpack that more. But, hmm. I mean, does that jive with the way you, I mean, in, in, in a, a unique perspective coming from where you are, I mean, I purposely use the idea of marriage in there because hmm. I've got a number of friends from your homeland who live here now hmm. and they're citizens, but they have gone back to India hmm. for an arranged marriage. So you've right. got an, and that's just one you know, low hanging fruit example, you've got a very different perspective. How would you, how would you have defined freedom before your time in the U S and then after it'd be, I'd be interested in your perspective. I think it's very interesting. Uh, you look at it from an Eastern perspective and uh, the whole idea of that, you have a right, you have to ask the question, is it a human right or is it a national right? Uh, are all humans born free in the, in a political democratic sense or is it just a national right? Because here there are some schools of thought w- which would say that um, not all humans are free. And uh, a la the caste ca- system in India, there are some humans who are freer uh, than other humans. And there are some humans which are born with much more privilege than other human beings. And uh, so when you talk about freedom as a right, uh, my immediate response is, is it a human right or is it uh, a national right? Clearly, in the, um, in the uh, case of the United States, it would seem to me that it's both. It's both a human right and a national right. right. And the human right is defined by the national right. Whereas if you come to a nation like India or even let's take the Middle East, for example, where uh, you were posted, posted a few a times, time. there it's not necessarily... Um, a human right. Uh, you know, you have so many laws uh, in, in countries where Sharia law is imposed. They're not free in the sense of, uh, in how we would use uh, the, the word free. Slightly different there. Yeah, I think uh, the only thing I might tweak on that, what you said is here in the United States, I'd say the national right is based on the human right, not the other way around, because, um, and we can get into this later. I know this is the direction you want to go, but understand the intent of the founding fathers. Mm. Uh, I don't think they would want rights to be something that the government gives because if the government is giving these rights, they can take them away. Mm. And their intent was that these, these were inherent, you know, mm. inalienable rights. Mm. Um, and that, uh, that even these things are grounded in perhaps, you know, human dignity grounded mm-hmm. in the image of God. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that the government cannot take away. Now they could try to restrict them, mm. um, but that would be a tyrannical move on their part. So that would yeah. be the only thing I think is um, we don't we don't base it the other way. The government doesn't give us those rights. Uh, it is recognizing those rights. Yes. I'm really glad you tweaked that because uh, I want to get 
Yeah, absolutely it does. I'm I'm very happy that you tweaked that and you fine-tuned it because I want to get a little bit more into the intent of the founding fathers in, in just a bit here. But uh, if you look at what's happening right now in America, very interesting. There are so many, there's been a confluence of several different events. Um, and this is, of course, an election year. That's a different topic, which we won't get into. But it just seems, <laughs> it just seems that 2020 has been a very, uh, very, very interesting year so far. You've had you've had COVID, and then you have all of these uh, cultural. I don't want to call it cultural wars, but there's definitely cultural tension right now as you look at the United States. And so, heading uh, into the Fourth of July weekend, um, I'm not very sure, and I'm I'm using the word here seems. That's the operative word here. Uh, I, I really have to ask the question, um, is America still the land of the free? You listen to um, the Star Spangled Banner and, you know, there's that verse that says it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, certainly still the home of the brave. But I really want to get at the question with all that's going on right now. I mean, you think of how certain mayors are, what some would say is that they're abusing their power, uh, certain gubernatorial abuses of power. During the COVID crisis, you look at the protests, the march, marches, the riots, and I like to distinguish all of them. Protests are different from riots and different from marches. They're, you know, in the wake of uh, George Floyd's death. And so with with all of that that's going on, um, and you have so many different political views, you've got, you know, one extreme, the other extreme, and uh, so many people in between. So the question I want to ask you is, is, is America still really free. And I'm not asking it from, I'm not saying it from the perspective, oh, America is done. No, I'm just asking a genuine question. As I like to put it, an Eastern millennial who has lived for almost one third, more than one third of my life in the, in the U.S. Yeah, um, I think it's a good question. Um, I, and I know that in times of turmoil, and I don't think you would be overstating it to have used the word culture wars, because I think that, I mean, War takes many forms. Um, you know, even in, even in literal warfare, uh, it takes different forms. We have psychological warfare um, mm. and we have information operations that we will, you know, engage. And that happens daily now because we live in a digital era. Mm-hmm. And so you hear about you know, hackings from, from other countries or things like that. So I don't think you'd be, it'd be an inappropriate use of the war. There is a lot going on. And um, I understand the concern and i think um we need to be vigilant but in one sense i think we may be reaping the fact that we have too much freedom and that sounds strange to say Mm -hmm. but i don't Mm. know that i mean to say that you know uh, to ask if if we are still the land of the free would imply perhaps that there are some freedoms that have been taken away now i wouldn't put back on the fact that there may be some intrusion or impingement upon some freedoms and we need to stand up when someone abuses freedom. But I don't, you know, we still have our amendments. We still have the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have the right to free speech, even if at some time it's been violated in certain points. The one that would concern me the most would be um, some religious liberties yes. that certainly have been challenged. Um, but we're getting to a point where I think we have so much freedom we got freedoms that are in conflict. So mm. let's just mm. take the fact that um, there has been some watershed um, decisions made by the Supreme Court re- mm. uh, regarding marriage. Yes. You can now have same-sex marriage. 
Mm-hmm. That is a freedom. As a matter of fact, in this one sense, that's an increase in freedom in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where there was no freedom there, now that there's freedom. But now, say you have an uh, Islamic organization that does not, um, you know, isn't on the same page as same sex marriage. I was going to go there, they, but I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. let's just say there's an Islamic community outside Detroit that mm-hmm. has a food shelter or does work in the community or something like that, should they be forced to hire someone like mm. that of uh, a homosexual persuasion? Now mm. you've got these freedoms that are in conflict. That's a, and that's a high level one. We could get into something more simple. You can get into the baker making a cake yes. or even something as those nuns who were asked to provide certain kinds of health care. So mm. we've got freedoms that are in conflict in one sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. It does. And I really like the way you phrased it. Freedoms, plural, in conflict. Um, I think that would, you know, uh, be a good description of uh, what we're what we're seeing right now. But uh, as far as the intent of the uh, framers of the Constitution and um, also, you know, the Declaration of, of Independence, it would seem like, and I again, the operative word here is seem, it would seem like we're moving or drifting, drifting away from um, you know, what the intent of the Constitution and the intent of the Declaration of the Ind- of Independence was. Because, you know, if you think about the Declaration of Independence, if you've read it, it's majestic in its, in its language. It sets a vision, a grand vision. And then you look at the Constitution, what that does is that it, um, it the genius of the Constitution is that it executes what the uh, Declaration of Independence sees, and it seems like you, you have uh, one group of people over here who love the Declaration of, the in, of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but they want to shun the Constitution because of the fact that it's too rigid. And, um, and the, you know, they fail to see that there's a balance between the Declaration and the Constitution. That being the case, it seems to me like we're moving away, we're drifting away from the, the founders' intent there. Any comments? Um. Yes, I think I think you're right. I think what we need are some good civics classes to try to get into the minds and the hearts of the founding fathers a little better to understand what it was they were trying to do. Um, they, while not perfect, mm. and no one's perfect, and you know we're living in an era right now where a lot of these um, shortfalls in in the men and women of our history are being highlighted. I don't want to overlook that. But um, I don't want to be overly anachronistic in the moment either. Mm. And uh, I do want to point out that there, there was a genius to the, this great American experiment. And yes. I know you and I are both lovers of um, appreciators of, of the work of Oz Guinness. Yes. And he's pointed this out. Um, you know, he's got his golden triangle freedom. And I think you're right in the idea to say that we're drifting. But, you know, the founding fathers talked about only a virtuous people could be could be ruled mm-hmm. in kind of freedom. And Oz points out that, um, yeah, that, that in order to have this freedom, he created, he talked about this golden triangle freedom. Yes. Where liberty requires virtue. Yes. Virtue requires religion. Yes. Religion requires freedom. So he actually pins, um, you know, you got a, the canary in the coal mine model. He uses yeah. religious freedom as a benchmark for, how free our country is. And so that's where I would say, if we're becoming less free, I'm worried about the impingement that's coming about 
in our religious freedoms because that I will see. trickle down in, in in everywhere everywhere else. But so we're drifting in our understanding of what freedom is. Mm-hmm. We're drifting in our own sense of virtues mm-hmm. um, because right now uh, it's really become don't tread on me and mm-hmm. don't you know. Freedom is you can't tell me what to do. We're all becoming extreme libertarians in a sense. Mm. And um, uh, and I use the word extreme there on purpose, not to take shots at libertarians in general. But, you know, sort of like we're becoming solipsistic, all very self-referential, mm. and you can't tell me what to do. Right. And one of the elements, you know, and that's why I said we're going to pack it. One of the elements of freedom, it's not just a freedom from, but mm. I think the founding fathers would want to make the claim that there's responsibilities and obligations that go along with freedom. So there's also a yes. freedom for freedom for and, yes. And I don't think we've got that as much. We've just got people going, I can do what I, whatever I want to do. And you cannot tread on that at all. Right. Right. So if I hear you correctly, what you're saying back to Oz Guinness's um, golden triangle. So you've got the, uh, the freedom, which is based on um, the virtue but where do you get the virtue from? The virtue has to come from faith. So you have this, these three constantly uh, working together, freedom, faith, or freedom, virtue, and faith. So what I hear you saying is that the virtue is being corrupted because the faith or the religious aspect in God we trust um, is eroded. Is, uh, is, is that what your, your point was? Yeah, I think that I think that's, that would be a simplified view. I think there's a lot to it. I think... Um, I think, you know, there is an erosion or there's a, a, an impingement upon our religious liberties, but I also think that, you know, secularism and mm-hmm. uh, he goes on to build on Richard Niebuhr's idea of these public squares. And, and this might be a topic for another discussion, but, you know, the naked public square, the sacred public square and the yes. civil public square. And we can, we come from, we come from a background where America has largely been Protestant Christian. Mm. Mm. Um, there were a lot of other faiths from the get-go, mm. um, but the, the overriding predominant public view was Protestant Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so we have largely been in a sacred public square for a long time, where that was the the voice of the culture. And even when we were going to elect, I mean, when we elected JFK, it was a big deal because he was Catholic. Yeah. Um, you know, I was not we, around then, but I, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't either. I was just slightly before my time. But just like people were, were vexing on whether or not they could vote for Mitt Romney because he was a Mormon, they mm. were wrestling, wringing their hands in the same way for JFK because of his um, Catholicism. Well, mm. Oz makes the point that there's been a struggle and they're trying. there's, there's a, this idea to have a naked, a naked public square where we're stripping down any religious or worldview content to try to make it neutral, which we know mm. there's point no uh, yeah. he argues for a civil public square and that bristles against our own notions of freedom because those of us who want to say that america is a christian nation mm. sure there's a lot of that in its underpinnings but part of it is where where are we now and yeah. actually america in one sense is more free than i think some people want to, to realize because oz talks about I mean, what's our what's this you know our statement on the seals e pluribus unum mm-hmm Pluralism was built into the DNA of this of this country. Uh, yes. I think that's almost an exact quote. You know, I'm paraphrasing slightly, and mm. that means everybody gets a seat at the table. And yeah. so we have to wrestle with this. And sometimes, in order to strengthen our own freedoms, that means we have to support the freedoms of others, even those with whom we disagree. So yeah. I feel like you are, if you are pro- putting out something that is hurtful or hateful, 
I got to support your right for free speech because that could come back and bite me later if I try to muzzle you. Yeah. I think the issue is there, though, you know, are we tolerant of intolerance? What I mean by that is there are certain um, worldviews that are just intolerant of differing worldviews. And so when you uh, when you invite to the table, to use your analogy, people who do not, uh, you, they don't have the capacity to agree with, they don't have the capacity to tolerate a differing worldview. That's where we get into problems. And I think what we're seeing uh, in the wider culture is that there are so many polarized views. We've forgotten how to be civil. Um, and especially if you come from a worldview that says, no, you, 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 can't, you can't tolerate at all what the other person uh, is saying, because to do so uh, would be to go against uh, who you are, uh, to go against conscience. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really good point. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Light in the Shadow of Jihad, addresses mm. all of this really nicely. And I think um, he points out that uh, if you're going, and he's, he's not being as explicit in this public square analogy as Oz was, but it, mm. it, it applies directly that everybody gets a seat at the table, but mm. not in a way to undermine or underpin the original architecture that gives you the very freedom you now have to, to speak out. Yeah. So if you have a worldview that comes to the table and their purpose is to undermine the very freedoms that give them the freedom to say it, then that is supposed that, that one it's okay. So there, I think there is, there are, there are ground rules. There are rules of engagement in this mm-hmm. great American freedom. So that goes back to freedom and we can talk about constraints on freedom. Yes. You know, we are not free. You know, I am free to, okay, this is going to sound crass, especially as a Christian, but if I'm mm. a single man mm. in America, technically and legally, I'm free to sleep with whomever I want. Mm. It's mm. not a good idea for me to sleep with my friend's wife. Mm. That would be very bad. There are certain constraints. If I want to maintain my friendship with mm. that person, mm. I really ought to think twice. Now, again, that's a crass but very clear example. You can Here distill you. that much more subtle nuance mm. levels of you know, so many people go, well, it's my right. Let's, let's talk about the COVID-19 lockdown right now. Mm. It's, hey, I don't, have, I don't want to wear a mask. Mm. But if we're going to love our neighbor, sometimes that means a sacrifice or yes. a suppression or just a temporary setting aside of some of our rights. Mm. Um, now, of course, I, we can unpack that because I know there's a lot more to those issues. Um, and that's a bit simplistic. So anyhow, th- there are constraints on freedom. Yes. And I think we need to. Yes, there are, there are boundaries, there are parameters uh, to freedom. And uh, I think since you and I have mentioned Oz Guinness quite a few times now, I think it's worth uh, showing our viewers, our listeners, this book by Oz Guinness called uh, The Last Call to Liberty. Uh, it is a book that I would highly recommend to anybody who wants to understand uh, freedom in the context of our, our culture today. Uh, Oz Guinness brings out many uh, brilliant points. And there's another book that I would like to suggest, which I don't have with me right now, but it's called The Founder's Key. The Founder's Key by Larry Arn. I think both of these books have been a real uh, education and an inspiration uh, for me. But one of the things uh, I loved in Oz's uh, book, besides the golden triangle of freedom that KJ mentioned, is uh, his framework that he brings out, his uh, seven-faceted framework of what freedom is or of what constitutes freedom. And um, I just want us to briefly touch on uh, each of these things, because I really think if you talk about parameters, if you talk about um, boundaries here, uh, constraints, if you will, um, 
this is uh, this is really a very comprehensive definition for all of us to understand what constitutes freedom. First of all, he talks about freedom as being um, a matter of the will, a matter of the will. And, um, you know, do we really desire it? Uh, do, do we will it? Would you say, KJ, that people in our culture today in the United States still have the desire, the innate desire to be free or have some of them just thrown in the towel and have said, whatever, you know, just doesn't matter anymore. Or, or are we still fighting for it? Is the will still there? Yeah, I think it's, an, I think the will is there, but it's uneven. And I think it goes back to um, our understanding of what freedom is and those responsibilities and obligations. And I think what we need is um, a bit of reeducation in the sense of what freedom is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I mean, there's a lot of will out there, as you can see. You're talking about a lot of the the, the manifestations of the turmoil, whether it's mm. a peaceful protest or the non-peaceful rioting and looting. And let's get away from the looting that is just people ex- for a moment. Let's get away from the, the looting that's just exploitation and people smashing and grabbing. There mm. is some more violent forms of protest, but they are trying to make a point. And uh, mm. but the to me, these are some misguided notions of what it looked like. Um, so I think the will is there, but I think there's no understanding of what we're supposed to be, um, of what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, and, 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 but I wouldn't want to dismiss what may be underlying your question. I think there is in some sense a general apathy mm-hmm. and there is a sense that, uh, the government is supposed to cure a lot of our woes. Yeah. In some and, um, I, I just don't think that's necessarily the case. The government yeah. is there to facilitate a lot, but I don't think they're never they're never going to be in a position to solve everything. Yeah, absolutely. So he talks yeah, so, about freedom as a matter of the will, first of all, and secondly, he says freedom is a matter of responsibility. In other words, you and I, if we're to live in a free society, we have a responsibility um, that that we have to execute in in order to live free. Uh, what comes to your mind when you think of us being responsible in the current uh, milieu that we find ourselves in? Responsible citizens, I guess, who can upkeep freedom. Uh, rephrase that question again. I, I'm not sure. I mean, what, what comes to your mind when you think of us? How? Let me rephrase it. How can we be responsible um, in order to keep freedom up in um, in the okay. U.S. Yeah. specifically? Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I, I was, I guess mentally I was anticipating the next question as well. Cause he talked about a matter of responsibility and this matter of a commitment to the responsibility. Yeah. I think most people, most responsible citizens, depending on where they fall out of the, on the, on the political spectrum, feel a responsibility mm. to me. The question is, is whether or not they're going they, they, the commitment to that responsibility. Yeah. Um, now what that responsibility looks like, I yeah. think is we would debate and, okay your traditional conservative versus your traditional liberal mm. um, are going to differ greatly on what those responsibilities look like yeah. um, and the role of the government in that. So I think in general, a sense of responsibility is there, yeah. but commitment to it and the shape of it is where we're going to differ. Um, yeah. But there are, there is a large, again, it goes back to the apathetic part. There are, I think there is a large contingent of citizens. Of the United States are just kind of content and, mm. uh, used to say in the Marine Corps, they keep up and shut up and they don't really contribute, nor do they really detract. You know, they won't necessarily criticize, but they won't build up. There's, there's just, they just kind of, you know, 
the, the you know, the GK De- Chesterton analogy of the dead fish kind of going along with the flow. Mm. I mean, I, I think of even uh, a thing as simple as, you know, being responsible in voting, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of people who, you know, have their views on if you, you don't have a candidate on the slate who you can't support, you, then you just don't vote. I mean, a small, it's, it's a small thing um, as far as responsibility goes. But yeah, I want to go to the third thing that you already alluded to, that it's uh, not only a matter of responsibility, but, but Oz says it's also a matter of commitment uh, to that responsibility. I think in our culture, and I want you to weigh in on this, I think in our culture, commitment in general is um, seeing some hard times. I mean, the things that we're committed to, we've, we've lost... Uh, I guess, a sense of what it really means to be committed because we don't have an underlying purpose uh, as far as um, what we ought to be committed to. You know, there's that that drive chain, if you will, is um, either missing or cut or broken or whatever. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and those who are who think they're committed are often not as committed as they think. I mean, marriage is a good example, you know. Hmm. We say these vows and then uh, it's only till it's convenient. But, um, you know, we're committed to a cause, but uh, the cause only lasts as long as the news cycle. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I think we are in a unique time right now because so much has stopped and slowed down with the lockdown um, mm-hmm. that it has afforded us, afforded us a little more time to focus on what's actually happened in the case of the George Floyd incident. Mm-hmm. But if this was business as usual, I mean, this may be a bit cynical, but I feel like uh, the George Floyd incident would have gotten some attention. It probably mm. would have had some of, some of the protest demonstrations, riots, mm. but we may have moved on, you mm. know, because not sadly, it's not the first time that someone someone like that has died in the hands of uh, in, in the hands of police custody. Mm. And there have been um, ire raised before. It's mm. not even the first time the "I can't breathe" occurred. Mm. Um, you know, I think one thinks of Eric Garner. So yes. Commitment tends to be more flash in the pan. Huh. Um, there are people behind these movements that stick with it, and then they're frustrated because it gets national public attention till we move on to the next crisis. Right. You know, that's, and politicians play that. You know, when they get yeah. into, when they get in trouble, they wait for the news cycle to play out. Uh, so that's you're, I think you're right. Our our, our commitment is um, they're bullet points. They're little mm. tickers on the bottom of a screen, and mm. then they're gone. Very interesting. Just to remind you, if you're listening in, we're talking about uh, that we're delineating a framework, a framework for what freedom is. We've talked so far about a matter of the will, freedom being a matter of the will, freedom being a matter of responsibility, and then freedom being commitment to that responsibility. And then this fourth one, KJ, is something that I really, I really caught my attention. That freedom is a matter of power, yes, but then he says freedom is a matter of power that's based on truth. And in this postmodern milieu that we live in, or beyond postmodern milieu that we live in, we know that power, uh, hunger for power, grabbing power is one of the uh, viruses that really has infected our times. And we see that playing out right now, don't we, on the uh, on the national stage? Yeah, we do. And, um, you know, Oz has got some other lines where he's talking about without these truths and whatnot, that it just becomes, it just becomes might. And that's something that's dangerous. We don't want people in charge simply because they're the strong. We mm. want the virtuous. We want, we want the right people. Um, yeah, truth has – we live in an age where you can have your truth. I can have my truth. Mm. And 
Um, truth is questioned. It's just a very slippery slope. And um, there seems to be a loss of the, the if we want to use, you know, the more relativistic idea, we're mm. losing some of the truths of the founding fathers. Yes. We've lost sight of what they were. And even now, truth is so questioned that I can pick up, you know, this book here by Os Guinness, read it, and mm. whatever I read and interpret is the truth. Mm. I'm determined, and I'm the determiner mm. of what the meaning is here. Yes. So and mm. it is, where does it stop? And so now um, I read the Declaration of Independence. I read the Bill of Rights. Mm. Uh, I read the Constitution. And mm. I interpret, I interpret what they mean, and yeah. it may be very different from what you are. And so right. I know there's often, you know, there's an argument even in constitutional circles of whether it's a living, breathing document or a static document and that kind mm. of stuff. It, it's hard to arrive on a, a centered, you know, uh, uh, national identity if we are continuing to move, shift the, you know, we're standing in shifting sands. Yeah, we've lost that uh, absolute index that uh, would otherwise guide us, uh, that we could all agree on, we could come to a consensus on what freedom means, on what truth is, that uh, that absolute index seems to be, um, seems to be, it's, it's probably there, but it's really invisible at this point. And so people aren't seeing it, people aren't uh, agreeing on it. And so if you can't agree on truth, how can you, uh, how can you truly, truly be free um, in that sense of the word? But then he says, uh, the, the fifth thing that he says that it's, and this is where I really want you to comment on. He, he says that a matter, freedom is a matter of options. He agrees that it's a matter of options, but options that ultimately lead to life. You look at the Declaration of Independence, um, you know, and it talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It starts off with life. So he's saying that you have to have these options that are going to lead people uh, to, to lead to live, to, to lead a life um, that is uh, that is abundant. Yeah, this is a little bit where you have the advantage. This is one Guinness book I haven't read uh, yet, but um, it makes perfect sense and it lines up with uh, all of his thinking because um, what good is freedom if it is not going to afford me those options? Mm. You, can, you can claim, and I think this is, this is probably uh, where a lot of, class warfare starts to to come in and if you do not have certain options um if there are constraints on your ability to become upwardly mobile mm. uh, not just what we're seeing today in regards to um you know uh, the arguments about systemic racism and whatnot that whatnot but you can mm. read something like the hillbilly elegy and the movement as to why uh, Donald Trump was elected and the things that were overlooked and people that were missing. So there's a lot, you can make a claim in all of these where people will talk about, Hey, we don't have these freedoms mm-hmm. that lead to life. And, and th- mm-hmm. there's some, there's gotta be something to those claims. Mm-hmm. There's gotta be something behind there that we, that ought to make us pause and think. So um, absolutely. You can say you have freedom, but there might be more inconsequential freedoms and they should lead to life. And, and I think, you know, one thing is, as believers is we'd want to see it lead to flourishing. Yes, flourishing life. And the sixth thing that he talks about is that freedom is not an end in itself. And this is a good reminder. You talk about freedom, 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 and then you, you, you wonder if freedom is, uh, is an end or is, is a goal. But he says it's not an end in itself, but it's a means to a goal. And uh, I think the goal that he's talking about there is, of, co- of course, um, 
um, life itself, life lived in, in all of its fullness. Yeah. Um, freedom can't be an end because to what end is it to mean to be free? And you've got those examples of, um, certain people can be set quote unquote free Mm. and what you're really doing is harming them. Um, I mean, there's the silly example. I can't remember who it was, but in a Ted talk, he was talking about freedom and said, he talked about the fish in a fishbowl and said, you know, you could look at this guy and say, he's look, he's locked up in this little fish tank. Let's set him free. But if you break the glass, actually that's detrimental to him. Mm. Um, So freedom can't be an end. It's gotta be a means to something, which is why in, in the United States, it's a means to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yes. of course, we want to say that's not even the end end. That mm. is maybe the fruit of our, of our freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can't, it can't simply be an end in and of itself because to what end? Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, he says that freedom takes into consideration, not just individual preferences. And, you know, by the way, in all of these points, I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not quoting him verbatim from his book, but it takes into account takes into consideration not just individual preferences, but uh, also the whole community. Um, and this is so important. This is so important because what you think freedom is may actually be imprisonment for me. So how do you strike the balance? Yeah, um, it, it kind of harkens back to what I was saying before too about being so individualistic in our view of things. And that's something mm-hmm. here in the West, um, since the enlightenment, we have uh, drifted more and more to an individualistic interpretation of everything. Hmm. Uh, whereas I know outside the West, there is more, you know, consideration for how this will reflect upon the family hmm. or, or I, you know, I think of even just, um, I lived in Japan for so long, you know, how this will reflect on the business I work for. Hmm. It's more than just the individual. Um, you know, you can, you can err on the extreme of either. But, you know, this reminds me of, and I, if you bear with me, this, this one quote from Oz in his book, um, Please. Free People's Suicide, from a few years ago. Uh, mm. I love this line. He says, unfettered freedom mm. could prove the Achilles heel of the modern world, mm. dissipating the license, triviality, corruption, and a grand understanding of all authority, under, a grand undermining of all authority. Yes. And so that, to me, is what that leads into. If we're just so into, if, if, if it's all just... Um, just individual preferences yeah. over time, whose preference takes, takes, uh, takes precedence. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I are both well familiar with Ravi, you mm-hmm. know, the old, you know, in some cultures they love their neighbor and some cultures they leave, they eat them. Do you yeah. have a preference? Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so whose, whose preference trumps whose? Yes. There's got to be a collective in which, and, and, and it's not enough just to say as long as you're harming your neighbor, because mm. how do you define harm? Right. How do you define neighbor for, for that matter? Yeah. So many things here. And um, I, I just like to leave this with you again, uh, what freedom is. It's, it's a wonderful framework here, a matter of the will, a matter of responsibility, a matter of commitment to that responsibility, a matter of power, but power that's based on truth, a matter of options that lead to life, uh, not an end in itself, but a means to a goal. And lastly, that takes into consideration not just individual preferences, but the but the whole community. I think that's a that's a great framework. And very interestingly, KJ, I think you and I would agree um, as we move toward the conclusion of this uh, podcast. You know, the, the United States as a nation was never a Christian nation, as some would uh, like to say. But we know that it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. 
I think we could agree on that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that we can dwell and argue on that. Some people take exception, but I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, founded on Judeo-Christian principles, or I, another way of saying it is that it has Judeo-Christian foundations even. In other words, it wouldn't exist without uh, the Judeo-Christian foundations that it's uh, been built on. That being said, KJ, what does where does God fit into the picture? Because the picture is so crowded right now with so many differing viewpoints. Where does God fit into the picture? What does God have to do with freedom in general? And specifically, what does God have to do with freedom in the United States? Because I look at a dollar bill and it still reads at the top, in God we trust. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get these notions of, um, of freedom and equality and, you know, uh, all men are created equal without some transcendent behind it. I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He says, the Declaration of Independence dogmatically bases all rights on the fact that God created all men equal. Hmm. And it is right, for if they were not created equal, they were certainly evolved unequal. Hmm. There is no basis for democracy except in the dogma about the divine origin of man. Hmm. And so hmm. he fits in because it's behind that. Hmm. And, you know, if you want to be a modern secularist and, and try to, to uh, you know, wash that away and, and say that doesn't, that doesn't matter, it absolutely does matter because uh, you're living on borrowed theology uh, and borrowed morality in that case. Because these, and not every founding father was, uh, you know, uh, we couldn't equate him to what a modern day evangelical might be. Certainly mm-hmm. there are deists and things like that. And sometimes we romanticize uh, just how Judeo-Christian some of these guys were. Yes, but yes, we do. These, these principles were there. Mm. Mm. Even if they, even if it's, you know, you're, they were leaning on them in a, in a pragmatic sense. Mm. Um, you, know, you might think of someone like Benjamin Franklin, who can, still confounds me as to where he was at times because <laughs> he said something incredibly religious and then not so. But yeah, and maybe, maybe it was more of a pragmatic use because he knew that was a way to create, he knew his history. Either yeah. way, those principles were there. That's what it's founded on. And I don't think you can pull that thread. Um, it's more of a linchpin than it is a thread because mm. then I think that part starts to crumble. Absolutely. And uh, I think of the words of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ that, you know, he was in the context there of uh, John chapter eight, uh, how he said to the Pharisees, they thought they were free. They thought they were born free. And uh, he says to them uh, very dogmatically, absolutely. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, referring to himself and how Jesus coming into a person's life sets them free. Uh, first of all, from from sin, and then from them from themselves. And um, how has the Lord? How has how has Jesus done that for you? If you'd uh, uh, be so kind as to let us in on that. Well, I mean, let's remember what he said right before that too. He said, "If you abide in me, then you are my disciples. Mm. You will know the truth, and the truth." So it was a conditional statement. Yes, and we forget that, and it's actually been popularized by a lot of secular folks. You'll know the truth and the, you know, the truth will set you free. Well, mm. there's a little bit more to it. How yes. is it that you know the truth? Well, by being his disciples. How are you disciples? By abiding in him. Mm. Uh, that, to answer your question is, you know, I alluded at the very beginning that I participated in uh, the C.S. Lewis Institute's one-year discipleship program. Mm. That, for me, is when I felt like um, everything started 
to make sense in the Christian life. Mm. And mm. what I, I think I finally started to begin to understand what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ mm. and not just this cultural uh, Christian who engaged in culture wars, who followed a certain political platform mm. or certain even just good acts yeah. like that it foundational to who I was in Christ. And so we talk about union or uh, freedom, mm. this idea of Christ is at the root of it yeah. because it helps determine the constraints. I mean, that, that, that fishbowl analogy, mm. the fish was free, but he had to have constraints to his freedom. Right. We, and, and they're boundaries. It's, de- you know, a definition creates boundaries. So when we think of, you know, constraints and boundaries, they sound bad, but that's what a definition is. Mm-hmm. And, when you're in Christ, it defines who you are. Yes. And helps you, be, you, be, you become more human in that sense. Mm. And then you have freedom to live as you were created. Mm. And so I think that is, you know, it, it, it would have made no sense, I think, at the beginning to put it that way. But now mm. that we've kind of teased this out, yes. freedom is to be and operate and act as you were created to be. Mm. It makes no sense to take a fish and mm. put him in the forest or take yeah. a raccoon and throw them out, you know, in the middle of the ocean. Right. Sure, they're free, but they're not going to thrive. Yeah. And so that, that same principle applies that we can live out in, you know, whatever context and situation that we're placed in and we're called to be. Yeah. And it's a wonderful freedom that Christ gives us, isn't it? It's not just freedom, but it's, it's the whole package. You have purpose and, and meaning in life. Uh, and you also have this very important concept that we really need today. And another concept of freedom is unity. Uh, that is that we, they, we have the ability not only to be united with God. He gives us the gift of being united with himself. Uh, but he also gives us the gift of being united with people who hitherto being in Christ, we didn't have the ability to be united with. He removes this uh, middle wall of partition. And so as you think about the United States, I mean, what a, what a message that is of, um, of having freedom and, but also having, having unity. Yeah. And it goes to your question about um, freedom being an end in and of itself. If freedom is an end in and of itself, then freedom will eat itself. Mm. Uh, Mm. That's something Oz talks about quite a bit is that the greatest enemy of freedom is freedom. Mm. And um, uh, he cautions in, in multiple multiples of his books, but the one I quoted, he talks about in the end, then it won't be the wolves at the door, but the termites in the floor. Mm. That mm. Starts to become, um, mm. I won't say the downfall of America, but you know, what starts to cause us to struggle, implode, yes. um, turmoil and friction and that's what we really need to be on guard against. You know, I don't think it's going to be uh, a great enemy over, r- jumping over the wall of America and invading. It's going to be us undermining our own freedoms. And, you know, we didn't get too deep into this, but one of the things about freedom is authority. Yeah. And that's what we're not, we're, we're all recognizing different authorities. And that's when mm-hmm. that one was, starts to undermine the very authority. And mm-hmm. we, we need to think about who, under whose authority are we? Yeah. You know, I, as I'm sitting here and uh, looking at my computer screen, I'm thinking about the unity that, for just for example, you and I have. Uh, we have clearly, as you can look at the screen, we have uh, different skin color. We have uh, somewhat of an age gap between us. We come from very different backgrounds, both um, in terms of uh, vocation uh, and uh, in terms of how we grew up. And so all of these differences, yet you and I can sit here and say we're, we're united. We're united in Christ. 
And the marvel of the American experiment is I don't think that uh, it would have been possible unless it was founded upon uh, these Judeo-Christian principles that you and I are able to enjoy and live out. And I think you very deftly demonstrated your freedom within constraints when you said so much of an age gap. Uh, when you <laughs> really clearly meant I'm old and you're young, but well done. I, I don't know what I meant. I just said there well was. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I no, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I, we we need to guard these freedoms preciously, and we need to expand the conversation. And I, I you know, what I would wish for, especially mm. with all of the things you're citing is that we folks would listen a little more. Mm. Um, there's a little too much grandstanding and a little much too assertion of our rights. Mm. And, uh, you know, wherever you stand on a political spectrum on some of these issues, there's got to be something behind some of these things on, on either side mm. uh, of the issues. Listen to the person. And what we, far too often we don't listen to understand. We listen to argue or listen to uh, correct. And I really wish people would come to... Uh, this point where we can listen to understand one another, uh, and we can still disagree. We're gonna disagree, right? But there's we're, we're, there's too much talking past each other these days because mm. we're too worried about our rights and our freedoms being violated. Absolutely, um, going to love our neighbors. Sometimes we put our neighbors' rights above our own. Yeah, whether it's a mask or it has something to do with um, the race tensions going on right now, we really need to stop and think on these things. Yeah, absolutely. Just before I ask you to sort of put a, a bottom line on this and also to pray um, for America and pray for people's freedoms, uh, I have to mention that, uh, you know, this this podcast that we're calling uh, Rays of Hope, um, uh, I have to say thank you to a friend of mine uh, who lives actually in the United States, Claire Vanderhart. She's a nurse and she was somebody who uh, constantly and consistently kept saying, you need to do a podcast, you need to do a podcast, you need to do a podcast. And as a nurse, she's been on the uh, front lines of um, obviously the COVID battle. So just wanted to mention her and say thank you to her for uh, goading me on to do this podcast. And this is just our second episode. But if KJ, if you were to put a bottom line on this discussion, if you were to say that there are some freedoms that have been lost and need to be regained, and if there's to be the perpetuation of freedom in America, America's hope of regaining lost freedoms and remaining free is what? Fill in the blank. Yeah, that, well, that, that, that would almost be a podcast in and of itself. Um, you know, we're both, we're both Christian, and I could give a very Christianized answer. Um, you know, Jesus is the answer. Every you know, third grader in Sunday school knows that. That that goes without saying. Hmm. Um, but I think if we were to speak um, to all uh, citizens of the United States, you know, the thing I would want to rem- I would want to remind folks is that um, there is some real genius in these documents. We should, we should refresh ourselves with them. Hmm. We hmm. should remember um, as Oz Guinness has rightly reminded us, uh, pluralism is built into the fabric and the DNA of this nation, which means we need if we're going to strengthen our own rights and our own freedoms, we have to support the rights and freedoms of those with whom we even disagree strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's going to take some very difficult forms. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reminded of when Russell Moore spoke once to some pastors who were challenging him. Uh, and I forget the exact context, but I think they were trying to oppose the building of a mosque somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he said, you got to be careful with that because if you do that, um, then when they try to build a Baptist church in San Francisco mm-hmm. for the, on the same grounds that we're shutting down the building of a mosque, they'll shut down the building of a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an extreme example, but we have to make sure we're supporting whether they're religious rights or otherwise, we have to support the rights of all people. It's otherwise they'll come back to, to bite us. We live in a pluralistic nation. That's by its design. Yes, it was predominantly Christian at one point. It is not as Christian as it used to be mm-hmm. in, in demographics. Mm-hmm. So that would be one I'd want to say is uh, remember that um, lest we, you know, to use a, a Lewisian phrase, uh, lest we cut off the branch that we're sitting on. Yes. Without realizing it. That would be one thing I would, I'd want to say. And then uh, it, I would speak to the, at least the Christians in the audiences. You know, mm-hmm. we are told the two, great command, two greatest commandments are love God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let us live and lean into this kingdom view because mm-hmm. we are citizens there first and foremost. And I would challenge you to think, um, are you an American Christian or are you a Christian American? Which one's the noun and which one is the adjective? And mm. I would say that you are to be an American Christian. American should be the, the, uh, the descriptor there. Um, and sometimes, even if it's just in a practical nature, we get those backwards. And so we, we want to we live into the kingdom and see it realized. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you know, I was uh, actually taking notes and I came up with three R's to summarize what you just said. Uh, oh, perfect. Refresh our a knowledge of uh, the documents, namely the Constitution and the Declaration, remember our history, uh, whence we came from, and then re-engage in your responsibilities as a citizen of the U.S. and a citizen of the, uh, of the heavenly city. So there you have it, uh, easy to remember. That's really cool. I like the way you did that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, KJ, for giving us your time and uh, discussing these things. It's so important. And uh, would you be so kind as to close us uh, in a word of prayer, praying for, for the citizens, for the nation, for the president, and however the Lord leads you? Absolutely. Let's, um, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come before you today. Um, here in the United States, it's a day before Independence Day, a day that um, many will celebrate and some will lament because they don't feel as free as they should um, in today's 21st century. Uh, so I ask that um, your hand will be on on this nation, that you will heal us, that you will bring us to um, real unity. Uh, of course, we pray for a revival in this land, for the church to see the church grow into that which you have for it. Um, let us not be divided um, unnecessarily by politics and things. We we do need to stand on convictions and those things you've given us, but. Um, let us as a church unite and see uh, mm. more, more clearly what you have for us. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course, we lift up the leaders throughout this nation um, from the most local of leaders, whether they're aldermen or councilmen in the various cities and townships, <clears throat> to mayors, to governors, all the way up to the federal government for our senators, our representatives, and uh, the president and those in the administration. We mm. pray that uh, they will rule rightly and justly that you will surround them with the wise and godly counsel so they make good decisions and they're challenged when they don't. 
Um, I pray for the American citizens who will vote in people who um, understand this great American experiment and um, will put people in office that won't do harm or damage to this. I pray that we as a, as a people will uh, grow uh, in our understanding uh, of what these documents actually mean and that we'll cherish them more and not try to um, undermine, erode, or even overturn any of them. Uh, I thank you for Kenny. I thank you for uh, this podcast and the work he's done. Um, bless him even now as he's uh, outside the United States. We miss him greatly here. Uh, I pray that you will uh, bless him and multiply his efforts there. Uh, and I pray that uh, these lockdown restrictions can be lifted safely as soon as possible, that this um, COVID-19 threat will diminish and that we'll get a, we'll get a vaccine sooner rather than later so we can all be rejoined and then Kenny can come back and visit us here uh, sooner rather than later. And lest we become myopic on, on the issues of the United States, there are troubles and turmoils all over this world. I think of mm -hmm. the persecution, uh, and there's persecution in countries all over. I'd, I'd be, if I named a few, I'd miss some, Lord, but you know where they are. Um, I pray for uh, those who are being persecuted uh, wherever there is violence. Pray for those uh, right now in my mind, those in Hong Kong with the new restrictions being placed on them. Um, I pray that your hand will be in all of these and that the church will continue to be the church, whether it is uh, underground or above ground. Uh, and we are thankful for the freedom here to pray this clearly and openly. Mm -hmm. And I pray that we steward these freedoms well. I pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you again, KJ. And uh, I hope you have a wonderfully blessed fourth weekend and the same to our viewers as well. It's going to be interesting. I think I can only throw uh, some fireworks in the house or something. I'm locked down. <laughs> uh, well, At least in your yard. Yeah. So, yeah, come back to Chicago soon, Kenny. We miss you. I, I'll try my best. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Take care.